This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are Mikkel Maher and Mark Messing. Mikkel is uh, one of the co-founders and ensemble members at Theater Ublek, and Mark uh, composed Theater Ublek's most recent show, which was Hunchback Variations. Um, and I wanted to talk uh, about... Theater Ublek and your process and how it led to Hunchback as an example of the kind of work you do, um, which was, I thought, really a very special show and um, hope it will have another life. So, um, Mikkel, as a, a member of the company, maybe you could just talk briefly about what is distinctive about Ublek's way of working. Um, well, we do we do all original material generated within the ensemble. Um, we work without a director. We are, have always been, um, suggested donation, free if you're broke is our tagline. Uh, I, I suppose a common aesthetic has built up over the years mm-hmm. with the playwrights in the group. But, um, uh, we don't have a, a mission, our mission statement doesn't, uh, I don't even know if we have a mission statement. <laughs> um, but if we had one, it wouldn't say anything about, uh, what what your uh, mission kind is. Of, yeah, what kind, of, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of scripts have to be generated? Um, uh-huh. People see our shows, um, are often surprised that they, um, the, the successful shows, they're often surprised that we didn't use a director and mm-hmm. the shows that didn't work so well, they say, say they should be the director. Should be the director. <laughs> um, but you know, in, in all, there's always, every theater company has its hits and its misses right, and, right. um, the misses, I suppose, always seem like they don't—they lack something of some sort of core vision. Well, so um, two questions out of that: one is, how did you meet each other? And the other is, why no director? And I don't know which one seems to you like the logical mm-hmm. place to start. Well, uh, we've been in Chicago for 23, 23 or twenty-four years now. Um, before that, a, a core of us had met in the early '80s at the University of Michigan. Um, and uh, as students, and formed a theater there called Streetlight Theater. And that theater, um, a couple of years into it, we had worked with directors, um, but I, I think there was a political tendency, political leanings, um, with a lot of the the uh, protest movements that we were involved in, a lot of the political uh, organizations that we were involved in were um, highly democratic, anarchistic mm-hmm. even, and I think we wanted to transfer that over to our theater um, practices. So the, the initial impulse was a, a young, you know, 20-something, um, uh, you know, anarchist spirit. Let's have no, no, no more bosses, no more, mm-hmm. no more directors. And then after the first show where we, where we didn't use a director, um, came off very well. It was very sloppy, but it came off very well and it was extremely exhilarating. To us, and I think at, after that point, for me, it became an aesthetic choice. Mm-hmm. It became, I wanted to be involved in something that had uh, more of that risk, more of that free form, more uh, loose, more um, rock and roll, mm-hmm. more, um, more jazz, uh, and less of a feeling of a marching band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which got is there. a good segue to <laughs> Mark Messing. Uh, but no, that was just a dig at my, my friend and, and, collaborator mark for me uh, 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 as a playwright i really enjoy i've worked with directors and I, I love directors and i love my friends who are directors and i i love working with directors to to create new work 
Um, but when I work on an Ublek play, I, there's oftentimes there's a feeling that the director, um, in, in other collaborative experiences, when you're developing new, new plays, that the director acts as a kind of buffer between you and the play or the, the other voices in the room. Mm-hmm. It can happen that way just because they're nice people and they want to protect you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but with uh, the Ublek system, because it's only you and the actors and the script, and the actors actually have what our rule is actor's prerogative, that, that no act, that the actor has the final say in what, what line they're going to read um, and mm. how that line is going to be read and what words are going to come out of their mouth. Um, actors are nice people too, so they, they generally want to please the playwright and, and realize his or her vision. Um, but you're always, you're in the, that's the contract, that you're in the room with them rehearsing this play, that you really have to, really convince them that these are good words to speak mm-hmm. and that they're important and that they, they will work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, and then if you don't, then they'll, they'll do it, they their, way. Do it their way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to really write the, the most compelling language, the most compelling lines that you can, mm-hmm. um, muster and, and also in the process of convincing them, convince yourself as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, really, and it leads to it just, just it's just more of a challenge and uh I, I feel myself digging even deeper in that process mm. or maybe it's just the process that i'm used to um but that's that's what it is so i, I feel it's a good playwriting uh, i think it's good for for a playwright who's developing work to work in that way that's very interesting because i've heard playwrights say the opposite which is that with new work it's so easy for all of the um collaborators to kind of second guess and say well you know, this, I don't get this, so change it. Mm-hmm. Where with a received work, of course, you have to take it and make it work. And, and a new line could have been made to work, but someone feels the right to second guess it instead of finding their way to making right. it work. Well, that's why the playwright's in the room to act as a, as an empowered, powerful lobbyist mm-hmm. to, to say, no, no, if you just read it this way, it would work. It would and mm-hmm. so, and, but oftentimes they'll have a point and it's and just not it. working. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Mark, you're you're not a, an ensemble member with Theater Ublek. So, as someone essentially from outside, do you have observations about how this process affected the result of Hunchback Variations, which you composed? Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, a composer, I was a lot like a writer, composing the the melodies that the singers are singing. Uh-huh. Um, so. Uh, it was pretty empowered that way. And it was a work that was probably not going to have a lot of improvisation in it. So a lot of the music was spelled out. Uh, but I did encourage them to, um, speak up if I was missing something big. Uh-huh. Uh, and I wanted to know how the parts felt musically to them. Um, and, uh, musically, but also idiomatically. Does this feel good? Is this good to sing? Mm-hmm. The cello player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it feel right in the, in the hands of the cello is player? Is there a word like cellistic? I know there's pianistic. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but, uh, I did really love seeing them discover their characters mm-hmm. as they got into the piece more and more. And I, I realized that, yeah, it was a real serious character study for them. And the piece came alive. The characters came alive in ways that I didn't imagine. Um, and, uh, I learned a lot about the piece and the music as they explored those characters. And there were a couple of moments where, um, uh, the, the shape, of the piece, there's kind of a climax in uh, 
what movement is that? Is that the eight, eight variation? So. Yeah. That um, the singers helped uh, solve mm-hmm. how to perform, how to compose that. Um, so, yeah, it was really great to see that. And there's always room for interpretation in, in music compositions. Um, uh, usually in a classical piece, they aren't changing the melodies and the notes and the chords, right. uh, but there's expression, there's tempo, there's dynamics. Uh, and they discovered a lot about that during the course of the run, too, mm-hmm. which I'm excited to, to make note of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so what was the exact process? Let's take one step back because um, this piece uh, we haven't quite teed up for the, the listeners. This is a an opera that was based on a play that, Mickle, you wrote just as a straight mm-hmm. theater piece yeah. uh, quite a while ago. Ten right? years or so, yeah. yeah, at least ten years. So you had a script which had been uh, evolved using the process that you mm-hmm. described with actors in the room fighting you all the way. That's not yeah. what you said. No. Well, I was one of the actors, and it's only a two-person play, so uh, it wasn't that hard. It's half, half as much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now you've had this um, idea to turn it into an opera, and maybe even just for a moment talk about that. How, Why did you think that this play about um, Beethoven and Quasimodo trying to come up with a solution to a stage direction from a Chekhov play was just definitely meant to be an opera. Well, I didn't know it was definitely meant to be an opera. I knew it was inspired by musical form and its mm-hmm. variations. Um, it has, it speaks, it, oh, its, its central theme is about not music but sound production and the, something beyond language, mm-hmm. looking for something that can't be expressed through language and apparently can't be expressed through sound either, um, which I think is often what uh, composers are after um, mm-hmm. ineffable um, creations. Um, I don't know. We uh, I had worked with Mark um, on a couple of other uh, pieces. Uh, one was actually a short opera that was commissioned for a one night party, and we had a really good time doing that. And mm-hmm. Mark wrote the um, is it, the incidental music for the Cabinet, which was a adaptation of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari for Red Moon Theater, mm-hmm. which I had written the the text for, and we had a really good time doing that. And so it was just, I think it was, sometimes you just meet someone, a lot of work is just born out of the people that you meet and you Mm -hmm. like, and you just think, well, I want to do something with that person, what could it be? Mm -hmm. And what, in in my mind, was what could it be where I didn't have to do any work? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Where Mark does all the work. (laughs) But actually, the work I did was was uh, was actually writing the grants. Mm. I was like, well, I I don't feel like writing a libretto, but um, if I asked Mark, if I could get some money to to do this, would you would you make Mm -hmm. an opera of it? And uh, he said yes. And then, surprisingly, somebody gave us a little bit of money. So then we were obligated, and it was Which mostly, is always yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if somebody had given us a lot of money right off the bat, we would have probably put this up a year ago. Okay. But um, it was a long process. I mean, Mark had to, in, with the recession and all, Mark had to take other jobs and could only work on this piecemeal over, you know, over a span of time. But once he started getting some stuff done, we had a workshop, and we he had, I think, he had maybe two or three. Two variations done and um, out of 11. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the variations done with bits and pieces of three and four. And it was the first time we had presented it. And a lot, I think a lot of people in the Ublak Ensemble were skeptical. They hadn't heard anything. They, they thought it was a crazy idea. I always had faith. I always knew it was going to be good. But I didn't realize 
just how well Mark had, had accomplished the goal. And we, in that first workshop, um, we just put it up for some friends, invited guests, and, um, and it was just, it was, it was thrilling. You know, it was just, they had a couple of, you know, hours of rehearsal, I don't know, a couple of days of rehearsal to, to do this new music. And, um, and, you know, no costumes, no lights, really anything, just, uh, just getting up there and singing a couple of these variations, um, to some people who knew the play, some people who didn't know the play. And you, sometimes there's just a work where you just know, Right away, that works. It's just going to work. It's just there's no way it's not going right. to not it's not going to not work. Um, so that since that point on, then we knew we were really really had to commit and really had to do it and really had to find a way to raise the money because mm-hmm. we didn't have the money. Um, so that was actually an exciting process for me too. It was uh, was just I'd never had to raise that much money before. Raise that or just find the right people and. And it all came together in this, this incredibly magical way. It was just, you just felt like you were, I mean, looking back, yes, I knew it was really hard and it was just like just, just making the phone calls and the emails and just getting the thing together and just fine. But just looking back, it just felt like a fairy tale, just like just everything. And that meant calm. to be. Yeah, just, quality. just, just mm-hmm. inevitable and everything mm-hmm. was right and just, the the two guys that walked through the door to do the piece were just the exact right guys, and um, and we were talking about the Ublek way. We didn't have any opera singers in our in our ensemble, and the piece really demanded professional singers, people that have those larynxes and voice boxes or whatever the strange little mm-hmm. uh, freak of nature um, vocal cords that can actually pull this stuff off. Um, in addition to acting talent, in addition to everything else and and also but you know so we, we knew we wouldn't have a choice about their personalities if they were people that couldn't work with us or we mm-hmm. wouldn't we would find that out too late mm-hmm. um so all, all we could really look for was can you act and can you sing and, and do you get this at all and um and we we put out a casting call and, and really only george walked through the door initially um our beethoven and um, nobody else. Wow. <laughs> and, and, uh, eventually, uh, we just asked him to f- find a friend. Uh-huh. And, um, that friend was Larry, who played yeah. Quasimodo. And, um, and they just, just happened to be the two guys that could, right. that could not only do it, but really love it. And that's, that's an essential, like, you just have to, you have, it's such an odd piece that if you don't somehow just get it in your bones, then you're just, you're gonna, right. you flaunt it. And there's no way a director could explain it to you. There's no way, if you just didn't get it in the first five minutes, you're mm-hmm. just going to be, you're yeah, going to be, you're going to be lost. Yeah. And so it was just, was lucky that we had those two guys and then the two musicians we had just, just, uh, understood it as well. And, uh, well, let's go back, Mark, to when you came into the process. So you've got this libretto and you start to compose. You did two full variations and some bits just sitting by yourself in your studio. Yeah, um, I mean, I love to collaborate, uh, but it's uh, amazing how many hours of this process involved a lot, a lot of solitude mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, working on my own. I, and I had a lot of work to catch up with, with Mikkel on after Mikkel created this universe mm-hmm. uh, of you know, these 11 you just variations. just to begin to understand how it worked, how yes. the text worked. Is that what you meant? Yes, mm-hmm. and then just the labor of you know, composing the music mm-hmm. uh, for each each piece and um, I had, like I had to tailor little outfits for each word, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> 4,000 words, right. uh, and understand the structure of it all and how it all fit together. And, and so it was real important to 
let the universe soak in uh, and and be immersed in it for a while and uh, learn the pacing of each piece. Mm-hmm. Did you read language. it aloud to yourself? Where do you start with that process? Um, yes, I read it aloud, uh, uh, but I, I had a huge advantage in that I've got to see it performed mm-hmm. right. by the original actors. Uh, and, and so that does a lot. I, looking at it on the page is nothing like hearing right. someone read it and embody the words, right. uh, and, and embody them with, with conviction and, and one of them being the playwright in the production you had seen. So that's <laughs> helpful too, right? Yeah. Yeah. From, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I feel I skipped way ahead in the process by being able to see that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I knew that, um, Mickle liked the way both characters, uh, expressed the work. And, and so, uh, Quasimodo was much slower and much more serious than, than Beethoven. Beethoven was op- optimistic and, mm-hmm. and the way they spoke had a, a very nice musical rhythm. So I started there. Mm-hmm. And, and so then you bring in, I guess what I'm trying to get at now is how this, um, looks at all like your typical theater oobleck process. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a, uh, unusual example of what theater oobleck does, but were there ways that once you came in with some music, it began to look more like theater oobleck at work? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think oobleck is driven that you have a playwright, or in this case, a playwright, a composer coming in with a, a vision that is, is, Pretty fully formed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they are champions of mm-hmm. or lobbyists for right. power. So it's not ones. developed as with group activities. I mean, there are a lot of companies that work with right. the actors as part of the development process, um, and that's the, not the, so the actors come in, the actors performers come in when, when we are already in this, in the state where we're, You've got a complete we're, draft. That we have a complete draft. We have a, a great, well, I don't want to say that, uh, with this, in this case, well, you know, that's not true because Mark, the, the draft of the words was complete, but right. the, the, the singers came into the process in the workshop stage and they mm-hmm. only, only seen a couple of variations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the most five in the second workshop, um, we had maybe five mm-hmm. variations done. Um, so they, and in the same way with the script development too, I'll often have just readings at my house of a few scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but that's just, those are not rehearsals. Those are just readings right. or so you can like, hear like workshops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they get an idea, um, maybe some feedback, but I'm just hearing it. And, and, um, but when rehearsals start, the 90% of the, the work is done. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, and it, this was very typical, Mark hadn't finished the final variation, mm-hmm. but that is uh, extremely typical for Ublek plays that we just don't have the final scene written right. and we're just giving uh, pages of script to the actors, um, you know, a week before opening. But at least this time you knew how it came out. <laughs> yeah, we knew how it came out, but it, the, 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 the singers were, and the singers and musicians were getting new pages, um, up to dress rehearsal, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. But that's typical, and it's, and uh, the, and Larry and, and they all took it in stride. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they they knew that that was the case going in, and they just you know they they really seem to understand our process too. I mean, they're both they're both. The thing is, when you have talented people, they just they they're confident people, and they're and they know. Uh, that's not always true. I have to just <laughs> interject. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> they're yeah. They're, they're con- performers. These this type of performer. I mean, I think they're they're confident enough in their own ability and their own tastes to to help guide the work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not feel um, that they come in with a strong feeling about what 
they're they're able to make choices. They bring something to the table. They, they're, yeah. Yes, they're uh-huh. able to make choices. They're not they're not sitting there floundering. Right. right. Um, and so you, you uh, they they make strong choices right off the bat, and ninety um, percent of them were just right in accordance with what I thought was right. And as far as acting, and Mark was seemed pretty happy with the singing as well. So they were respectful of the script. Too. Yeah. They weren't just coming in to show their chops off. Right. Like, oh, uh-huh, this would right. be great if I could do this thing I do that yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. likes. Right. There was none of that going on. Yeah. A lot of respect for the show, script. Show this show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, Mark, you've done a, a lot of other um, uh, composing for theater, and you've been in rehearsal rooms for and probably developed other theatrical pieces. Is that all true? Yes. Yes, yes. So so then what was the effect for you of working without a director? Um, How did it, you see it being different? It's uh, kind of uh, funny, kind of ironic, because uh, the work that I did was, when it was complete, was complete, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And the revisions uh, were very slight uh, during the rehearsal process. Um, and that in a theater that has no director. Uh, other works and collaborations that I've been involved in uh, have been completely rewritten uh-huh. <laughs> or at least 50% rewritten uh-huh. and not, not by my choice uh-huh. and within the last three three or four weeks or, or, or less and uh, uh, where you you think you have these traditional roles where each department is in control of their own their own part right the director does the director's part and Right. Composer has a composer part. The lighting person does the lights, but uh, so this was very ironic in that way. Um, but so, just so I understand, are you saying that directors were they weren't they weren't recomposing, but they were telling you to recompose something? Is that what you mean in these other processes? Yes, often uh, a director will say, um, uh, "I don't like that song. Try something something else," mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or uh, "That right. sounds not right. Let's do something else," mm-hmm. uh, or. You know, we've cut these three acts now, and we have uh, three new acts coming in, or these these scenes, right. and um, and and it's not that uncommon, really. Right, right. Um, uh, or a producer will say, uh-huh. "I don't like the lyrics to this song. Uh, can we change actually these three or four songs? Right, their lyrics, and that changes a lot. And then there's right. a lot of things that are redone. So, um, again, there's a, a complete script and a lot of respect for the script. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing I, I, I love about Ublik that there's all this freedom, but, um, you really have to have strong, creative people. If you have that much freedom, you, you have to have people who know how to sit down in a chair and get some work done. Mm-hmm. You can't be sitting around theorizing and brainstorming. Mm-hmm. You know, people need to, to be very self-motivated and have a vision and, and, and get something done. And when they bring that to the table, everyone else is excited. Because they know they put in the time, and they know it's a complete idea, right. and they get involved. Right. And then the collaboration is more about exploring how to execute uh, a story that's already been written. Right, instead of a lot of hand-waving and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so then, were other theater Ublek ensemble members involved in giving feedback? Or like, were they at mm-hmm. the, the workshops and so Yeah, that? we had an extremely short um, two-week rehearsal process once we got the 90% of the music in, and we had the contracts signed for the singers and the musicians. For that, we had the, the two workshops, um, and thoughts were given. We had a, we had both of those workshops. We invited audience, um, feedback afterwards, mm-hmm. um, which was to me enormously helpful. Um, and I think to Mark as well, there was just some people really brainy, smart, musically minded people in the audiences that, that, you know, just based on the two variations that we were able to show or the mm-hmm. five, mm-hmm. were able to give 
feedback and we had really great discussions um, about theatrical choices and musical choices in those two workshops alone. In the two-week rehearsal period, um, a lot of the work was just learning the music. Yeah. Um, and so it was, there was, uh, it was difficult. But a week in, we did have a rehearsal where there was five or six Ublek ensemble members who came and watched and gave their feedback. And we had, a, I just remember that as being a very, really good note session afterwards. Um, we just, you know, we sit down in a circle basically and, um, people give their notes and, the and we discuss and, um, it was amazing. Outside eyes. Yeah, yeah outside eyes. Mm-hmm. So the Ublex work with outside eye um, system. So it's, uh, we invite, everybody's allowed to invite as many people as they want. Um, and so we try to get people in of all stripes, all different. So we have people who are experienced directors, experienced actors, and then people who are just someone's grandma who's coming in, mm-hmm. um, you know, that day, yeah. who's passing through town. So, um, we have all sorts of different perspectives and, and you never know where that gem of insight is going to come from. So, mm-hmm. um, well, give an example because I think that audience feedback can be, um, helpful. I think it can also sometimes be even destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder, Mark, maybe you could give an example of the kind of feedback you might hear from a session like that, notes from the company or from other outside eyes that's helpful and maybe an example of something that isn't helpful to you as an artist. Oh, yeah. I think um, it's impossible to hear something uh, with someone else's ears mm-hmm. when you're working on it. Uh, maybe you think you can, but somehow until someone else is in the room hearing it, mm-hmm. you you haven't been able to put yourself in that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the m- most helpful sessions for me were the workshops early on, and I knew that I had an idea of where the piece was going from variation 1 to 11, uh, but uh, only it was kind of painful because the, only the first two or three were shown at the first, and, and right. I knew that people were not really going to get at all where it was going. Right. Um, and and uh and a lot, some of the feedback was, that sounds a little too much like, you know, you're trying to imitate Beethoven. Uh-huh. Kind of a, a lousy imitation of Beethoven. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, I knew that, but it was good to hear that, that yes, this is going to get old really fast. People are going to Im- get impatient with this old kind of 1700s tonality. And, uh, so it was kind of a good confirmation of that. I think also there was a lot of feedback about some of the specific things in, in the play about a, this sound. Uh, and, and people were wondering if I was going to attempt to actually make that sound, the mm-hmm. impossible sound. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a lot of warning, a lot of dread about that. And it's also, <laughs> also good to hear. Right. I don't think I ever really intended, uh, but, you know, the temptation was there. Um, but also the, you know, it, it was, um, it was great to, uh, play with that expectation as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and bring things, you know, explore a lot with the sound. Is that, so is that a, you're talking about musically? You're not, cause that's part of what, it happens dramatically is that we we see them trying to do it. Now you're saying the kind of choice that did you design the sounds that they tried as the composer? No, that was a, a collaborative big piece yeah. of the collaborative yeah. uh-huh. part, driven mostly by Larry. I mean, we we went to fr- we got a number of um, David Isaacson was tasked. Uh, he's an ensemble member, um, playwright in Ublek was tasked with the job of contacting interesting people in Chicago who make sound mm-hmm. uh, for a living. 
and see what interesting devices or instruments or knickknacks they had lying around the house that they would be willing to, um, to uh, lend, you to lend us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Michael Zarang and Eric Leonardson um, gave us a couple of things, but uh, Fred Longberg Holm, the would you say jazz cellist? Just a he's a, an extraordinary cellist around Chicago, um, uh, and we went to his house, and he just had boxes full of just weird, <laughs> really strange string instruments that he knew all the names of. <laughs> I have no idea what they are. And he's like, you can just take this stuff, uh-huh. and just ninety uh, percent of what we use in the show is from him. Uh-huh. Um, well, well, then let me go back though. Then to what was the comp- for, as the composer? What were you? What are you talking about when you're saying you're creating this suspense about will you try to make the sound? Because as I remember it, the sounds were were not part of the music. That the attempts at making the sounds. It's true, um, but I, I, I there felt- is one point in Variation Nine that the cello makes a sound, a couple of sounds that that might almost be, be attempts. That, uh-huh. that. Would you agree? True, uh, and I I thought of the sound effect devices as a help in in, in giving me um, license to deconstruct the music. So occasionally there is a. A, a noise that Quasimodo makes, and the music responds to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I thought that would be a a great way to start um, breaking down the conventions of Western harmony, mm-hmm. uh, and have it be motivated by the story. Well, so so let's go back to the feedback question because that those were examples of feedback that was helpful. What kind of feedback isn't helpful? And this is now, you get your chance to tell people what it is <laughs> that you want from them when you invite them to a workshop. Yeah, I, I think, um, anyone who opens themselves to feedback has to have uh, enough experience to know that, um, I mean, it's all going to be useful because it's, it's teaching you about, um, someone's perspective and how they're, experiencing the work mm-hmm. so i mean even bad reviews you tell me something about how it's being interpreted uh, or negative reviews um and and i think that if if i spent time with the work and and feel confident that it's doing what i intended to do uh-huh. um bad advice bad feedback's not going to really have have any any effect other than well isn't there a difference though between bad feedback and unhelpful feedback there can be very no because no? even though unhelpful yeah i mean you learn that everything nothing is gospel and everything is helpful mm-hmm. that's the thing it's it, you you can even tell it's like a negative image of a you know so you can you can just tell from the I guess the negative space by, <laughs> left mm-hmm. by the bad comment, uh, what you are doing right. I mean, if you just disagree with a comment or a, a bit of advice, it just reinforces, you just then, then you have to sort of buttress up your own reasons for why that is, mm-hmm. why you think that might be the wrong direction. So and that, kind of, that, yeah. so that, so just bouncing off of something that just feels to you wrong, feels, feels like a bad piece of advice or a bad, uh, wrong note. Mm-hmm. Um, just reinforces your own, the space that you're already working in. And you say, well, you know, that's wrong because what I'm doing is actually this. And this is the reason why I'm doing it. Right. And actually maybe informs you even more. You didn't even know why you were doing right. it. Right. But it forces you to but think yeah. it through. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I can Because I mean, we had, with, between the performers and me, we had discussions about getting up from the table. Um, the, the performance really we, we wanted to get up. We at the haven't uh, explained that piece of we had that no. aspect of the production. Okay. So <laughs> set that up. Uh, the the whole piece is uh, 
the whole play, the whole opera is a panel discussion, and it's just two characters, and they sit at microphones at a panel. Remember, this uh, is Beethoven and Quasimodo Beethoven sitting and Quasimodo, at a table, sitting at a, a <laughs> eight foot table with a you know tablecloth and a white apron around it, and um, two they're, microphones they're and a looking. pitcher, yeah, yeah. pitcher mm-hmm. of water. Um, and the whole play is just that. There's no, there's no big, um, you know, there's no hydraulic coffin that you know rises up mm-hmm. from the cellar. Well, there isn't a, a plot really either. No, there's no plot. And that you talked about the musical form, the very. There's no spectacle. There's no yeah. So there's uh, so the two things that happened that were that I was going to go back to your what is useful uh, feedback, yeah. and this is a good example of useful feedback for the performers. I thought they were getting nervous about that, um, just sitting at a table and doing nothing but sitting at a table and singing, mm-hmm. and. There was a time when they were they were saying that, um, and there was a group of people. There was an ensemble. There was a bunch of outside eyes there, and to the last outside eye, everybody reinforced the idea that no, sitting there, the slightest movement you make, anything that you pick up, anything that your fingers do, anything that you do is incredibly dramatic. Mm-hmm. Just because you're in just enclosed space, where we are so focused on you, and to hear that from an audience of outside eyes, as opposed to just a director saying, "No, no, my vision is right. it will be actually I've got very this interesting." Cool idea, I've this got this cool idea. You just yeah. feel immediately, mm-hmm. oh, that is a room full of people that are all they, their their heart immediately feels this. Mm-hmm. They, uh, you could just you could tell mm-hmm. that, that 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 note sank in. That right. feedback just immediately was just like it wasn't it wasn't a big theory about it. It wasn't mm-hmm. a big right. you know we just didn't have empirical. to it was just like you just yeah you just mm-hmm. immediately the that sort of it's like hearing applause or hearing laughter. Mm-hmm. You just hear these outside eyes almost in a, as a chorus just mm-hmm. saying no 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 we we every t- t- time you move your finger we are watching and we love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that, but there was still still the impulse that Larry, especially Quasimodo, really had this. I really when we get to variation ten, he's just like I've been sitting here all this time and I just feel like I have to get up. And the discussion between me and him then was well what and I and I felt it's right for you to sit there. Mm-hmm. But if you do get up, what would that, what is that exactly about? Why, why are you getting up? And, and so we invented, you know, so we found a, an impulse for getting up and then and it, and it evolved into this really nice bit where he actually um, is going to get up and leave and he's going to pack up all his things. He has all these uh, sound making devices on the table. And it's actually during this part in the music where Mark, Mark didn't know this when he was composing that we would put this piece of business in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but amazingly, it's this, this, like this long passage of rather, um, loud, I don't know, would say discordant music, but just angry music, just, just busy, just, just mm-hmm. loud, just dramatic music and, uh, clanging and banging and just is perfect accompaniment to this bit of action mm-hmm. that had been it, that was invented the two days before we opened. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't, you would think, oh, they planned that long. That was months ago. They must have like put that in as a stage direction. And Mikkel must have said, Mark, this is the part where you have to create this music because there's going to be this action without words, without right. any singing for this really long time. And, and, uh, so we need some music there. And it's actually, that's not how it right. happened. And, um, there's a lot of serendipity in art, isn't yeah. there? And yeah, in this piece, more than I think, more than any piece I've ever been involved in. Well, I have to say, you're telling me that you auditioned essentially one actor singer, <laughs> who then brought in the second, be- is so incredible because I could not imagine performers better suited. 
for that yeah. for that piece. I mean, it was you know, the, the piece itself is so interesting and lovely, but also the performance of it was, yeah. was so impressive. So we shouldn't talk too much about how great it was for the people who didn't <laughs> see it. Um, but I, um, you know, I really do hope there there might be another life for it because I think it was a, there will be really a wonderful, worthwhile night in the theater. Thanks so much for joining me to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.